Warren Buffett, BlackRock, and other institutional players dominate investments in commercial aviation. Why? Because it's one of the most profitable and predictable alternative assets that exists. And it's not tied to other markets such as real estate and the stock market. Is it safe? Well, imagine triple net leases to the likes of American Airlines and British Airways. Income is contractual and guaranteed by some of the biggest named airlines in the world. That's why this kind of investment was never available to the ordinary accredited investor. That is until now. Visit accesswealthaviation.com and check it out for yourself. Invest in an institutional team with over 200 plus years of combined investment experience in the aviation sector. Conservative investing with double digit returns and tax advantages. That's accesswealthaviation.com. Accesswealthaviation.com. You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey with the Wealth Formula Podcast coming to you from Montecito, California. I am excited about the Thanksgiving coming here. I'm, I'm actually moving to a new house, and that's pretty exciting for me. And you know what else is exciting? Is that the Minnesota Vikings are kicking butt. We are eight and one, and we are playing on Thanksgiving. So I'm super excited about that. In fact, I am going to the Minnesota Vikings game this upcoming Sunday, which is, I guess, basically the day that this podcast will release anyway. But anyway, we're playing Dallas, and it should be uh, great fun. Looking forward to it, and I'm hoping you are looking forward to the holidays as much as I am. So um, as for today, well, in tradition, I usually do these Ask Buck shows around the holidays. I feel like it's sort of a fireside kind of thing, right? Like we're uh, the fireside chat or whatever. You know, it's just kind of a little bit more personal, a little uh, something that seems to be fitting of the holiday season. Anyway, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to have a few different questions uh, from a variety of the audience there. And if you are interested, make sure, uh, because we can have multiple shows here, to go to wealthformula.com and click on Ask Buck and uh, make sure that, you know, I'm going to prefer questions that are recorded. So that's generally the ones I look at first. So hopefully you can do that. You're not too shy about it. Otherwise, you can always uh, also, you know, just write your question and I'll, and I'll, and I'll also get to it. Uh, but uh, but I like I like hearing people's voices as well. Anyway, ask Buck after these messages. What do the Rothschilds, the Romneys, and the billionaire hedge fund managers know that you don't about growing and protecting wealth? As you might imagine, the wealthy have a few tricks up their sleeves. One strategy allows you to grow wealth tax-free at a compounding rate with no volatility. It protects your money from creditors and lawsuits and it lets you invest the same money in two different places at the same time. How about that for amplifying wealth? To learn more, go to wealthformulabanking.com. Again, that's wealthformulabanking.com. Self-storage is a necessary evil. It's where you keep your stuff and forget about it. No wonder this stuff is so profitable and recession resistant. The Wealth Formula community, well, we've benefited from that. We've made lots of money in this space with Reliant Real Estate, one of the largest self-storage companies in the country. With an average investor internal rate of return of almost 34%, with hold times just over three and a half years, 
these guys know what the meaning of velocity of money is. If you're an accredited investor, make sure to check out what they're up to right now at ReliantFund4.com. Again, that's ReliantFund4.com. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Well, before we begin, let me just uh, comment on a few things that are going on in the economy and markets that I think are of interest. Uh, last month, there was a slowdown in inflation, less inflation than expected that was forecasted. So that's good news. I suspect that we're, you know, we're, we're going to get this inflation thing under control and we're going to end up in a, a fairly deep recession for a bit. You know, I wouldn't worry too much about the zombie apocalypse right now. I think we're, you know, we're, we're not there yet, but uh, I do think that we're looking at a recession coming up and um, that could be real opportunities to buy as well as we'll get into in one of these questions. The other thing I wanted to just comment on real quick is the cryptocurrency market. And, you know, it's funny because last week's show, when I recorded that, it was actually the first day of this whole FTX debacle, for those of you who know what happened. But basically, one of the biggest companies in cryptocurrency, it, it turned out, had a lot of fraudulent activity going on there. And uh, so it really shook the foundation of the crypto world. Uh, and I think there's still follow to be had. I mean, we have to look at what's going to happen with some of these lenders that were deeply involved with FTX, um, like BlockFi, who actually froze assets. Um, so that's not good. If you've got assets there, there might be some danger to you. So I know keep an eye on that. And I'll, I'll continue talking about it as well. But I think the thing to take home from this is that, again, we know from even from talking from last week, our uh, expert on this topic, that this is an area that's in its infancy. And we're still weeding out the the bad players, the pet.coms of this era and that kind of thing. And I think that's where we're at. I do think that, you know, again, going back to the creed of, of, of Warren Buffett, being greedy when others are fearful uh, is a good idea. And to the extent that maybe, you know, maybe you're not into the alts, but I do think this is potentially a really, really good time to load up on some Bitcoin also have some potential you know bitcoin related uh, mining opportunities coming up in investor club as well by the way if you would like to join if you're an accredited investor and you are interested in potentially deploying some capital check out wellformula.com and sign up for investor club and then there's an onboarding process there that you can go through and then get exposure to some of these things that i kind of mentioned in passing all right, so let's move on quickly here to the first question, first recorded question from uh, Zach. Hi, Buck. I'm mostly an equities and seed round venture investor, but have been trying to build a multifamily portfolio. While some private equity groups have maintained a lot of deal flow, it seems like Western Wealth Capital has slowed down this year. To me, this seems like the smart strategic move given the interest rate environment. Do you think it would be unwise to invest in multifamily opportunities now? And as for Western Wealth Capital, do you think we need to see interest rate cuts in order for good opportunities to arise again? Or will there be high value opportunities as prices fall? Uh, great question, Zach. So yes, at Western Wealth Capital and, and Toro Asset Management Group, you know, we're not buying anything right now. We haven't bought anything. 
think the last thing that uh, the last acquisition that we had through our group um, in real estate was in May through Turo, right before things kind of went south. And the reason for that is because of the rapid uh, increases in interest rates. And I, you alluded to that, but I want to emphasize the rapid increases part of it, right? Volatility is creating a real problem. And I'll get to that in a second. As for others who may be acquiring multifamily property right now, listen, I, I don't know really how they're doing it responsibly because I just don't know how you underwrite in this environment. In order to underwrite, you have to have confidence in some of your projections, which requires that you have some assumptions to use, right? And almost all apartment buildings are, are bought with some level of leverage. So the assumption that you have to have some confidence in is interest rates. And they're, they're, they're all over the, you know, they're, they're just going up rapidly. So we don't really know. So rather than, you know, I think the interest rates going up is sort of like a falling knife, right? Don't, don't try to catch it. Right. You just wait till it stabilizes. And uh, that is, in our opinion, that's where the opportunities are going to come. Now, the exception to that is if there's some kind of fire sale, which we could have soon. You know, I think there is uh, some artificial stuff keeping uh, the levees uh, up right now that and, the, and but the dams could break pretty soon for some some assets out there. And, and if you can buy those at clearly undervalued prices, regardless of, you know, some volatility in the interest rates, and you might look into it. But short of that, you know, if you're trying to actually, you know, do what we normally do, which is, you know, have some assumptions and rates and, and move forward, then then we may have to wait a little bit of time for that to happen. So again, you know, Western Wealth Capital, Turo Asset Management Group, we don't feel that it's prudent right now to underwrite uh, stuff when we can't even make assumptions about interest rates that I believe any intelligent investor ought to be making. And so right now, uh, again, the goalposts are moving too quickly when it comes to interest rates. Volatility is what kills markets, right? Volatility is what kills markets, not necessarily the absolute number of the interest rates. And that, um, I think that sort of addresses your question about, um, you know, whether there'll be opportunities in the future. You see, as long as rates are relatively stable at some point, it'll be time once again, uh, you know, that, that we can acquire assets because we'll be able to create a pro forma that we believe, you know, high rates are not the problem, right? People have made a ton of money in real estate, regardless of the, you know, how high interest rates have been. That, that's not the issue. The volatility is once the rates are stable, we just focus on the projected delta. That's all we need to do, right? So we have an assumption that rates will be around a certain level. And then we maybe like, you know, maybe we're conservative about it. But we know that our, you know, we're hopeful that our conservative number is, is not actually uh, uh, <laughs> too low, right? So you have to be in that kind of position where you can start, you know, really feeling like you know you're 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 doing your best to make these pro formas uh, make sense but once there's stability what i would expect is for you know markets to adjust to the new realities that come with those higher interest rates both on the buying side and on the selling side and then i think the markets are going to resume at that point so that said again you know 
we are in the business of value add real estate. So we're only concerned about the price we buy and the projected value and resultant increase in the value of the property. So absolute numbers don't matter. We start buying when rates stabilize and when there's a fight or if there's a fire sale, uh, which I said again, uh, could happen soon but hopefully that answers your question um yeah i don't i don't know i mean i i, I hear there's some there are some groups out there buying right now but i mean you just have to look around right i mean it's a little unnerving that that people think that they can underwrite in this um you know they, they may not be projecting out more than a year you know all right let's see next question is from nick hey bob nick dyke from michigan I'm just curious if you've discussed on your show the theory of population collapse, particularly, number one, if it's a real threat in the short term or near term, and also how it may impact your strategic planning with your investment style uh, moving forward. Um, you know, the old Elon Musk fear that we're not replacing ourselves at an appropriate rate and how the decrease in reproductive rates over all of the countries for the last X number of years, how that may impact the economy overall. Is this a risk in the next five to 10 years, next generation? Thanks. Thanks for the question, Nick. And I will say, well, let me just start out by saying, I liked Elon Musk better when we never heard from him. I used to, I used to really kind of think he was the cool dude, you know, with Tesla and PayPal and all this stuff, but now he's just annoying. Um, now I feel like he just says stuff to get attention for himself. Like he's like this, you know, nerd who's been overachieving his whole life and all of a sudden he wants to be, you know, popular. And that's, and he goes out there and he just says stuff to say stuff to get attention. Uh, you don't need to go much further going back to crypto and the whole Dogecoin thing. He doesn't believe in Dogecoin. He created hype because he thought it was funny. And, you know, it was antithetical to what people in, you know, Bitcoin and that sort of thing really believed that there was any value to this. Um, he got on board and he drove the price up and then a lot of people ended up buying it and then it crashed and people lost money. And, you know, uh, I guess if you're the richest man in the world, maybe you don't you, you don't understand that, you know, these people who are making these investments based on the BS that you talk about are actually uh, people who can't really afford to lose that money. Anyway, let's go back to your question. The reality is, uh, if you look at the numbers right now, global population is growing uh, despite declines in some parts of the world. Uh, demographers generally agree that the global population will hit 8 billion actually today. <laughs> I'm not even joking. 8 billion people uh, is supposed to happen today and of course i'm recording this on november 15th so november 15th we hit 8 billion people global population uh and then sometime in the next eight years or so we're supposed to get to about eight and a half billion you know these these same scientists and mathematicians who are focused on this stuff also think the world's population is going to continue to increase um and hit 10.4 billion in in 2080, at which point there is a, a 50% chance that there'll be a plateau or begin to decrease by 2100. So hopefully that's uh, something that we can worry about, but uh, 2100, 
is a long time from now for most of us. But here's something interesting. Global population now is driven less by birth rate and more by the fact that fewer people are dying young because of advances uh, in, in healthcare and expansion of healthcare. I mean, look at these, all these third world countries are really poor and stuff. They're finally getting some, you know, antibiotics and, and you know, some drugs actually so that they don't die of things that we, you know, in, in the West that we haven't really died of, died from for 50, you know, not 50, like 100 years. 150 years, you know, something like that. So anyway, that brings me to my next point. I actually believe that we will be living even longer than current projections suggest. And those of you who came to uh, our last meeting saw, you know, why? Because there's this tremendous advancement uh, in the science of longevity and lifespan. And I've been very vocal on this issue. I really believe we're on the precipice of huge leaps in longevity and health span. And that could make the population grow even higher. Now, you might say, well, yeah, but, you know, if you get a bunch of 100-year-old people, will they be working? Well, the science here is is the idea is that, like, people will be working much later into life. And, and for two reasons, really. First, because they can and they'll need to because they're going to live longer. Uh, but the other is that they'll be healthy enough to do it. So, like, you know, somebody who's 85 years old now, um, you know, might uh, mo most 85 year olds probably are uh, not in great shape uh, you know, to, to be working in an office or whatever. But the idea is, is that over time that they will be. And so that is going to change perspective. Now, remember, you know, the, the turn of the last century, I mean, I, I would be like retired in a grandpa or something like that, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm 49. Uh, and that's the truth. I, you know, I won't lie about that. I am 49. So another thing, we're Americans, right? And in the United States, we have the additional advantage of being a nation of immigrants. Now, uh, if we need more people, we just let more people in. Uh, and you just have to go back in history to the 1960s uh, during the Vietnam War. There was a shortage of men um, for technical positions like engineers and people going to medical school and stuff like that just sad because, you know, it was uh, in part because of the number of people who died in Vietnam. But what the U.S. did then is they opened the gates to skilled, you know, skilled immigrants. So my dad was part of that in the late 60s. He, he came as an engineer on an engineering scholarship. Of course, he became a real estate guy shortly thereafter. But he, um, he was, he and a, a whole bunch of his friends, and you ever wonder why there's so many darn, you know, Indian doctors and and engineers, well, that, that that's why they all started. They came then, and and then you know generations after that kind of followed suit. So, and there's one more thing to add. I should just point out that you know U.S. policy right now is pretty anti-immigration, um, but you know that could change pretty quickly, right? I mean, it's it's uh, it's it's a fat it's a fad of the day. Um, there is a nationalist element going throughout the world, which you know is what it is uh, but i think eventually we have the advantage of being able to open those doors and creating more population here as well uh the last thing to address on this issue is specific to our investments my investment strategy right so we have pretty reliable data on population growth for the next you know 10 years at least uh, and it's going up you know uh, we keep this in mind when we choose the location of our acquisition because certain areas will disproportionately grow 
because of jobs and taxes and and we're constantly evaluating this data so that's uh, that's important to remember um you know we're prime we're very heavy obviously in texas we're heavy in arizona and there's reasons for that is because there's a tremendous amount of population growth there already and jobs keep flying in and 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 that's what we do so you know i think that's my opinion on the population issue but you know we constantly monitor these things and look at population growth and i think the key is to understand where the puck is going and and to get there before the puck right so that's that's the idea in, in our investing strategy all right next question is from i believe it's jens uh, hi buck i love your show i had a question uh, regarding uh, bonus depreciation which is now being phased out I was wondering if you could do an episode elaborating a little bit on um, whether real estate professional status could still be a, a reasonable route to go, even if you just focus on passive syndication investments. Um, thank you very much for everything. Bye-bye. Okay, so a couple things. Thanks for the question first. Let, let's just, the, at the very end of your question, I wanted to address that first. So you can't be a real estate professional um, with only passive syndication investments you have to fulfill the criteria of an active real estate investor so i'm not a tax professional so i can't give you advice but what i uh, believe to be the case is uh, that you cannot um, you know you can't be solely uh, a, a passive investor in real estate and earn the real estate professional designation there has to be an active component to that so you need to own some property you have to log a certain number of hours and it has to be uh, something that you do more than you do of anything else time-wise so um but that's for another time the the point is let's talk about your question regarding bonus depreciation you know uh the thing is that bonus depreciation uh, the way it is right now, which is 100% depreciation of personal property. It really was only available in real estate for developers, uh, not those buying real estate, used real estate. Um, but under the Trump tax changes in, in 2017, it really became something we could use. It didn't, didn't matter at, at that point if it was construction or if it was a 50-year-old property. But before, you know, before we get into that too deep let's take a step back for a moment um what are we depreciating anyway right um well you've got two com components of that first you have real property which is stuff that basically like land and you know the the structure itself that you can't just pull out and throw on the lawn and then you have personal property uh which is um the stuff that you can pull out and throw on the lawn so that that's uh that's really important because there's something called a cost segregation analysis that separates those two. And why is that important? Well, if you didn't do a cost segregation analysis, basically there's a straight line depreciation of 27 and a half years on apartment buildings. And you just, you know, divide the cost of your um, acquisition, divide it by 27 and a half years, and that's what your yearly depreciation schedule would be. But the cost segregation study which by the way has been around for a long time and isn't going anywhere it has independent of the bonus depreciation laws it's an engineering study that separates real property which is stuff that cannot be yanked out thrown on the lawn etc and personal property now the significance of this study is that personal pr 
the personal property component is depreciable over five years instead of 27 and a half years, which is the real property. So in other words, it's still a great deal for real estate investors, even without bonus depreciation, right? Because then you're still getting, uh, you know, that depreciation over five years uh, of the personal property. Now, what bonus depreciation did from 2017 uh, through this year, 2022, was to make it possible for investors to depreciate personal property, not over five years, but all in the first year. And that was, um, that was pretty dramatic because if you think about residential real estate, uh, it's not always the case, but it seems to be the trend based on you know a lot of cost segregation analysis studies that I have been a part of um, through real estate that I own. Uh, that the, that about 30% of an acquisition price tends to be um, allocated towards personal property and the rest real property. Again, that is a complete estimate, and that, but I will say that's a pretty good um, assumption in my opinion. I use that all the time. Now, if you only put down 30% to acquire that pro property, which is typical, right? If you're using uh, leverage and you have 70% loan to value, um, that 30% that you put down, uh, essentially, well, guess what? Well, you, you just offset your investment completely with depreciation, right? Uh, like, like, like you were deducting your own down payment. Let me say that again. On average, what I have seen is 30% of an, a property being deemed personal property. And then you only put down 30%. So what happens? It's almost like the government's paying for your down payment. That's what it's like. So um, you effectively write all that off. And that's really why this has been so magical. Now, of course, you can only do this against other, um, you know, take that depreciation against other passive investments. That is, of course, if you are not designated as a real estate professional. Um, if you are a real estate professional, you can use that depreciation that I just talked about, that 30%, not only against passive income, but all income because it is considered active losses. Depreciation for a real estate professional are considered active losses. I am not a tax professional, but I was about to say I play one on TV. No, but I, I you know, have been around this stuff enough to get an idea but again never rely on my information as fact uh, don't don't do that and then come back and sue me please um anyway from 2017 to 2022 as we talked about that bonus depreciation is uh, is and was 100% of the personal property now this changes actually next year in 2023 it'll only be 80% uh, and then continue to reduce by 20% per year until it's gone. But remember from before, even without bonus depreciation, cost segregation analysis is going to result in accelerated depreciation, and there still will be ongoing tax benefits to real estate. And as you asked about being a real estate professional. So anyway, hopefully that answers your question. Now, uh, we've been going already for almost a half hour, so I'm going to um, just jump to one last comment. Actually, it was a comment that I wanted just to address. And I'm not going to read the comments um, 
specifically was an email that someone sent me a couple of weeks ago that, you know, I actually really appreciated. Um, basically, the guy was like, hey, Buck, I'm a big fan, but I don't like the direction you've taken the last few months. It seems like you just got a bunch of authors and people who write books and stuff like that. And so I was thinking about it. And I really do appreciate that feedback because, well, let me tell you why things have gone in that direction a bit. First of all, I'm trying to get away from interviewing the same people that come up in every real estate podcast, right? Like, it's just like circular talk, right? And getting each other amped up and you hear the same thing on three different podcasts and you really start to believe it. But in reality, it's just the same guy's opinion, right? So I'm, I'm trying to get away from, from that. So I don't really like to interview people who are, you know, constantly in the podcast, uh, the real estate podcast ecosystem. And I think there's a real danger in getting the same people talking about the same stuff on multiple podcasts again. So, you know, it just doesn't provide much opportunity to get other ideas. Next, I didn't want to keep talking about the same thing on every podcast, you know? I mean, I figured it would be better for people to get exposure to different stuff other than tax, estate planning, real estate. And in reality, I do think I may have gone off the rails a little bit with this in retrospect. I think we've been doing a lot of stuff that may be less interesting to you as an investor. Um, you know, some of the self-help stuff, business book types, all that. I get it. I totally get it. And I think um, I'm going to have to I'm to go back and shift a little bit. But warning, there's still a couple of those that have already been recording it in the lineup. So uh don't, don't, don't get upset with me for that. Finally, the last thing, you know, just commenting about like, you know, why I interview or who I interview, what I do is that a lot of people in this uh, real estate podcast space are actually raising capital. And I have to be extremely careful who I interview because I learned um, the hard way um, a couple of times now that even if I start with I'm not an investor. This is for interest, et cetera. Um, and this is something you should do your own due diligence on. Uh, people will inevitably often assume that I have my stamp of approval on something that I really don't because I don't have, and I've not done a significant amount of, um, you know, actual research on the offering or the people, et cetera. So rather than risk that and, you know, there's obviously, I don't want you guys to get hurt. I also don't want to get sued. Uh, I just stay, I try to stay away from those types unless, of course, I'm part of the, you know, I'm a partner in there. Then I really can have some confidence that there's something that I believe in. Uh, and so I'll, I'll do that. So you'll hear guys from, you know, you hear from Western Wealth Capital or you'll hear from uh, Toro, uh, Dante at Toro and that kind of thing. You know, so unless there's someone who, who's coming out who's an investment that has undergone like a significant broker dealer type due diligence, I'm just not going to interview those people. Um, anyway, so I can't do that anymore. But again, thank you for uh, reminding me uh, to keep uh, keep it real, keep it granular, uh, because that's what I will do. Anyway, let's take a break, and we'll be right back here. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Thank you so much for joining this episode of Ask Buck. I hope you have a wonderful Thanksgiving. 
Think about uh, potentially gifting somebody a course uh, from your roadmap to real wealth, which is a course that then leads into Wealth Formula Network, which is our community online, and also the foreman that does the biweekly Zoom video calls. Uh, check that out at wealthformularoadmap.com. That's it for me this week on Wealth Formula Podcast. Make sure to send in your questions if you want to get on next week, maybe. That's it for me. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time. Buck Joffrey here from Sapio with Buck Joffrey. Aging might become reversible over the next 10 to 20 years. It's already being done in lab animals, so it's just a matter of time. Our challenge? To be healthy enough for when that time comes. As a former scientist and surgeon myself, my goal is to figure out how to do that and to share it with you. I wrote a book called Living Longer for Busy People that you can download for free at sapiopodcast.com. You'll be amazed at just how a few daily adjustments can add years of a healthy life for you. Again, download it for free, sapiopodcast.com.